right. Great expectation. Well, I was expecting some, I was trying to expect some money in that thing. <laughs> we're, we're still talking about great expectations. And, and the Lord, I hope, I hope some of you still chewed on what we talked about last week. That if you believe all things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. That he has removed all, like, the, the limitations you have placed on yourself in your life and the limitations you have placed on him need to be removed. All things are possible. And he encouraged us to, to begin believing for the hundredfold. Anyone remember what the hundredfold was, right? It doesn't mean 100%. Hundredfold just means the maximum potential and I'm restating it for a reason, the maximum potential of God's goodness in a situation, right? So, and I, and I gave the example of an apple seed. If you plant uh, an apple seed, what's a hundredfold yield of that apple seed? Not, a, not enough apples to get a hundred more seeds. It's far more than that. It's that a whole tree would grow that would produce apples year after year after year after year after year. So you, you get far more seeds than that. And, and all the other benefits of having a, a tree, right? Um, if you say, I need a friend, well, the hundredfold yield of that, well, you, you have to sow seeds of friendship, and the hundredfold isn't necessarily a hundred friends. A hundredfold, it may be that you get that lifelong friend that, that sticks closer than a brother or a sister, that becomes that confidant, becomes that companion, that partner, and, and someone that pours into your life year after year after year and gives incredible fellowship and friendship. That would be, that would be perhaps the hundredfold yield of all those seeds of friendship, right? So hundredfold just means the maximum potential of God's goodness in a situation. And yet when the sower sowed seed, the, the seed that fell on good ground, even though the, the, the ground was good, it yielded some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. And, and, and praying and asking the Lord, okay, why, why didn't all the seed yield a hundredfold? And Christ reminded me in Matthew when he said, let it be done according to your faith. When he was healing uh, some, blind, some blind folk, let it be done according to your faith. Some folks only have the faith to receive 30% of God's goodness. Because maybe religion has taught them, well, you know, God doesn't do this. Or, you know, you've... You, you, you have messed up some, you know, you're not perfect. You know, you still got that attitude you got to deal with sometimes. So, you know, God's going to withhold some stuff. No, no, hang on, hang on. According to your faith, it's not about us. Learning to yield to him is going to be a lifelong endeavor for all of us. But it's about his goodness and his faithfulness that if we'll be obedient to his word, then he will provide all that we need. Okay. So, that's what we're doing. We're just taking a few weeks to shift our attention from, you know, any, any seeds of doubt or defeat to say, hey, no, going into 2024, we need to have great expectations. We, it is okay to believe for the hundredfold of God, for his best for you. Why would he not want to give you his best? And why would he not be willing to teach you how to submit to him? in accordance to his word, so that you will be in a position to receive his best. It's, we, we serve a good God. You know, I don't, I don't know, all of us who are parents or grandparents, I don't know any of us that sit there and, you know, you buy presents for your kids for Christmas, and then you're like, you know what? I'm just in a bad mood. 
you're only going to get 30% of these presents. I'm going to put the rest in the closet or whatever. Who would do that? No, you want to bless your children. And yet, how much more? Now, some of you, some of you may have said, that's it. Amazon's getting half the stuff back. You know, I don't know, <laughs> just depending on what your kids have done. Right. But, but really, you know, how much more does God not want to bless us? So I want to, all right, let's see if it, were, it was working before. Oh, there it goes. It works. Yay. All right. A season of the miraculous. Uh, now I'm going to be talking today. We're going to talk in three sections. This is section one real quick. Um, but, but it sets the tone of, of what I want us to begin to believe for. It was uh, the last week of July. I sat uh, in the midst of about 4,500 other ministers who were just seeking after God and, and trying to grow in faith. And we were in an incredible atmosphere. And, and I was taking that week to journal and to pray about 2024 for this fellowship. And one of the things that I heard the Holy Spirit say to me is, David, I'm about, I'm, I'm in the process of moving this flock into a season of the miraculous. Now we have spent almost six years really preaching the word of God and talking about the word of God and having faith in the word and standing on the word more than we stand on anything else. And, and while I come from a background to where the moving of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit were very prominent and prevalent. The Lord, the Lord is as if the Lord said, Hey, look, too many of my people have become too dependent on the outward expression of the Holy Spirit. And they've, they've left depending on my word to the point. And, and, and those of you who come from similar backgrounds to me, you'll understand sometimes if you go through a series of services and you don't necessarily see a lot of outward expressions of the gift of the spirit, you start saying, well, what's going on with this? How come revive? What's, I mean, why are we having some dryness or what it has nothing to do with that? The gifts of the spirit are supposed to be for the edification of the body to build up the body. But regardless if you're feeling great, if you're feeling excited, if you're feeling powerful, if you're feeling weak, if you're feeling happy, if you're feeling sad, if you're feeling revived or you're feeling dry, the word of God remains sure, period. We are to put our trust and our faith in the word of God. And, and I think for six years now, we've been, we've been pounding that pretty good. <laughs> but no matter what, we stand on the word of God. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, now, now we can move into a place where we see the miraculous. Someone said, well, I don't believe in miracles. This is because you've never needed one, apparently. Because <laughs> when you need one, trust me, you'll start believing in miracles. So I, I want to talk about miracles really quick. Really quick, something that it's a, it's a precedent uh, because I want us to have great expectations. I want us to believe the best is coming from the Lord, that he has the best intentions for us. And by the best, I'm not talking about, oh, he's going to give you a bunch of things, a bunch of things. Well, things don't really matter. Everything on this planet is, is temporary. It's transient, right? So if he gives you a lot of things, well, they're not going to last forever, but the things that he has is worth more than anything that this world can, can give you. And so, sure, I, I believe that he wants to, they're, they're, sure, there are going to be times that we're blessed with some material things that we can enjoy. And praise God for that. But the peace that he wants to give you, the joy, the love, the confidence in him, the sureness in him, the righteousness that he's going to give you so far greater than any amount of money in the bank, any type of car you can drive, any type of home you can own. 
It is that treasure, nothing on earth can buy, right? So I, I, I want to I point us to this one scripture, John 2.11. Now, John, the apostle John was, uh, would have been considered probably Jesus's BFF, right? Best friends forever, right? He, it was, he was the most beloved of the disciples. Uh, he was the one who just seemed closest to Jesus, Perhaps he understood him better than all the other disciples. Maybe he got him. And, and in John's uh, gospel, he, he, concentrated, he concentrated on miracles. And what he called them were signs, right? Because he said that all these miracles were really signs. They were road signs that pointed to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is God. And, and he even ends his gospel saying this, that he said, I suppose if, if you would write about every one of his miracles, there's not enough books on the planet to contain all of them, the miracles. That's huge. That's a lot of miracles. I mean, Jesus was a miracle working machine, man. He was just, he was a miracle working dude. And ironically, John writes about seven of them. It's like he took his top seven that impacted his life the most. And John chapter two records the first miracle. And this is what he said about that first miracle. He says, in the beginning of miracles, or this is the beginning of miracles to Jesus in Cana of Galilee. The beginning of, everyone say beginning of miracles. I've yet to find scripture in the Bible that said, this was the end of his miracles. Which means it's okay to believe that we are stepping into a season of the miraculous. And manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Does anyone, now for the sake of time, we're not going to go read through the account. Anyone under, know what account of the first miracle we're talking about? Water into wine, Cana of Galilee, the wedding. Okay? What I want, what I want to, if, if you've taken notes, or if you've got your phone, if you need, if you need to put this down, I, I want to point out the precedent that Jesus set with his first miracle. He said, all right, if I'm going to start working miracles now, if my, and actually it was his mom, mamas don't, don't ever discount your influence over your sons. Because <laughs> uh, Jesus told her, it's not my time. I'm not even supposed to be doing this yet. And she ignored him. She turned to the servants and said, whatever he says to do, do it. And she walked out of the room. You think Jesus, look at what, what his mama put him into at that point. You think he could... If he didn't work that miracle, he's in trouble, right? He's got to answer. Forget about answering to the father. All of a sudden, he'd have to answer to the mama <laughs> at that point, right? Uh, the father's merciful. <laughs> Whew. I don't know. Maybe y'all didn't have a mama like my mama. I don't know. <laughs> Joyce Butler would have. You better work that miracle, boy. Um, so here it is. Think about, think, think about the miracle. The Bible said that there were six containers of water. Six containers of water that was mainly for washing, washing your hands and feet so that you could be clean and you could go into the wedding. So they were common, but there were six of them and they all held uh, 20 to 30 gallons. Have you ever thought about how much wine Jesus made? He made between 120 and 180 gallons of wine. Do you really think they needed that much wine? They weren't getting that lit, okay? It was not, that's a lot of wine. Say, so, well, that was an excess. Is it excess or is it abundance? 
Not only that, it was the hundredfold. He could have easily probably said, bring me two of those. But he took, every, he took the maximum potential of what he could do with what was in the room. So the miracle, his intention with miracles is always the hundredfold, okay? So here's the precedent. Abundance. There's three things I want, I want you to get about miracles. And then we're going to get into the real sermon, okay? But it'll, it'll go quick. Abundance. Divine provision. Supernatural acceleration. Jesus didn't just make enough wine. He made more than enough. Because he told Abraham, I am El Shaddai. I am the God of more than enough. That's one interpretation of El Shaddai. God Almighty, but also the God of more than enough. Bode, he said, I am El Shaddai. He didn't say, I'm El Chipo. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm not just going to provide what you need. I'll provide more than you need. And then divine provision. They had no way of being able to get the wine. So he provided, who knows, maybe they were able to sell some of it. Make some money. You never... And not only that, supernatural acceleration. Supernatural acceleration. Do you realize in that one miracle how much Jesus bypassed of the natural realm? He bypassed the need to grow grapes, to harvest grapes, to crush them under the feet. Anyone going to a grape fest? Yeah, grapevines having their grape fest now, right? You can go play uh, Lucille Ball if you, if you want to. Buy a ticket and squash some grapes. But the squashing of grapes under the feet, the straining of the grape juice, the, 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 the filtering of that grape juice, the adding of yeast into that grape juice so that the yeast can begin to eat all the sugar that's in the grape juice. And then the, the yeast can excrete alcohol, right? Those of you who enjoy alcohol, just be aware you're drinking yeast pee-pee. It's, it's biological fact. Be aware. Just saying. There you go. That may help curb some of y'all a little bit. Glory to God. <laughs> but, but, and then, and then waiting a minimum of, of three months, right? About 90 days. And then you have to filter out all the dead yeast and then let it set for about another 30 days. And there in about four months, then you got what would be preferred wine by most folks that are going to go to Aldi. Right? But the master of ceremony said, usually the best wine is served up front, but you saved the good stuff for last. Oh, the good stuff. Well, that takes years. You're going to bottle it and keep it for years. Jesus condensed years into a moment's time through the miraculous. Some of you have been waiting on God to move in a certain situation in your life for years. You've been waiting for God to come through for years. And you're thinking, in order for this to even happen, God, it's going to at least take this, 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 that, and everything else. This is going to have to line up. Jupiter's going to have to move over. You know, the moon's going to have to shine in this color or whatever. You, know, you think of all the impossibilities. And yet, when the miraculous takes place, the Bible has a wonderful word. It's called suddenly. 
in just a moment's time. Think of all the miracles he did. He tells Peter, he says, throw the nets over the other side of the boat. We've been fishing all night. Well, just do it. So he does. And he gets so much fish, he's got to call in other boats, right? So he bypassed the spawning of fish, the laying of eggs, the hatching of fish, the growing of fish, the, the popul- repopulating of a lake. And it wasn't just enough fish for him to eat. They didn't eat all them fish. You know, they sold it, made a lot of money off of it. Divine provision. Uh, uh, the, the multiplication of bread, right? All the time it takes to make bread and bake it and everything else. No, it, it duplicated. It's the miraculous speeds things up. So I'm speaking into someone's life today. There's something that you've needed God to take care of. And don't be surprised about the time that you thought, well, I can't even think about it anymore. Just like that. In a moment's time, you, you, went, you went to bed fretting, you wake up with a text that changes everything. In one moment, the world has changed. The miraculous. And we're moving, I'm telling you, someone here this day, we are moving into that season spiritually within this fellowship. And I believe it with everything in me. Amen? All right, let's go on. Now the real sermon. But I, I promise it'll go quick. Let's talk about Passover. Uh, the very first Passover, I think it's wonderful. Ryan was basically preaching my sermon and singing my sermon today with his song choices, right? Sing about Egypt. So they're getting out of Egypt, right? And it's the first Passover, and we understand, uh, uh, man, there, we could spend three weeks just talking about Passover. But uh, we, we've, you, they had to sacrifice the lamb. They had to spread the blood of the lamb over the doorpost because the death angel was going to come through Egypt, take the firstborn son of every household unless he saw the blood that was applied over the doorpost. And then that the death angel or the judgment of God would pass over that house, very symbolic of the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world because his blood has been applied to the doorpost of our hearts. And so now we are removed from the judgment or the curse of God, right? And, and so, so he's, he's setting the precedent for this. But look at how they had to eat this meal. And there's a lot of details to this meal, but I want you to, I, we're, we're going to take a really quick look at how they had to eat this meal. Exodus 12, 11. And, and thus you shall eat it, talking about the Passover lamb. Thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, with sandals on your feet. Everyone say, eat with your shoes on. And your staff in your hands, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Their custom was to come home, take off their shoes, wash their feet, take the belt off the robe, and just kick back on pillows on the floor and lounge around and just quietly enjoy their dinner because they've been making bricks all day. They've been in slavery. That was just kind of their custom. Well, no, he said, no, 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 no. You keep your shoes on. You keep that belt. Why do they have to keep their belt on? Because you would wear a belt so that you could, you could hike your skirt up into that belt, guys, or your robe, right? You'd hike it up so that you could move fast, right? Ladies, when you were a little girl and you used to have to wear dresses to church, you know, and you'd get ready for that Easter egg hunt, all the boys would always, I grew up, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. All the little girls had to wear skirts and dresses. And all these old boys would be like, oh, we're going to get all the eggs because they got to wear dresses. And I was like, nah, you ain't never seen a Pentecostal girl hunt for eggs. <laughs> well, what do they do, man? They're hiking. Forget about modesty. They're hiking those dresses and skirts up so they can move. 
They're going to get them eggs. Well, it's the same principle. They had to gird their loins, right? That's, that's uh, the old or the, the King James way of saying it. So you had to keep your shoes on. You had to have your staff in hand and you had to hurry up and eat it quick. Don't dilly-dally around. Why? Because they had to eat it with a certain spirit and that spirit was expectancy. You got to get ready to move. You eat this meal, but don't you relax. Don't you sit down because we're getting out of here tonight. 400 years they had been slaves. 400 years they had cried out. And all of a sudden, in one moment's time, eat this lamb, you eat this meal, and you better expect to get out of here. It's a jailbreak. We're getting out of Egypt tonight. And so they did. They ate it from a posture of expectancy. Or in other words, they ate it from a posture of faith. I'm doing this, but God's up to something. (laughs) Something's going down. God's moving. That's the spirit God is moving us into as a church. We'll come. Let's have church. Let's worship. Let's participate in all the various outreaches that we do, all the various Bible studies, all the different, you know, let's, let's be in and out of each other's homes and fellowship and, and, and do life together. But now let's start doing it with an expectancy. God is about to do something. God's about to deliver a family. God's about to set someone free. God's about to change the tide in someone's life. God's about to make the impossible possible. God's about to take a nowhere and make it now here with a spirit of expectancy. So today, when we take communion, and we're about to get into that here in a second, you're going to take communion with the same mindset. So let's talk about this. The Lamb of God. We just talked about how they had to partake of the Passover Lamb. So let's fast forward to the Last Supper. Okay, for the sake of time, we won't go back and read, read all, all of the, 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 the details. Again, we could do a six-month Bible study between the two. It's, it's, it's fascinating how, how it lines up. But it is not by accident that Jesus presents the concept of the Lord's Supper in the middle of Passover Supper. Now, there are two elements that we're aware that he had at the table that they list we don't know what else that they list, but there are two elements that they mention, right? And that's bread and wine. Now, this was Passover. Notice there was no lamb mentioned. Why? Because the lamb was already present. Amen? Amen. We didn't have to have a Passover lamb anymore because the lamb of God that was about to take away the sins of the whole world was on the scene. But the Jews understood because it was instructed when they would enter into the promised land and they would hold, they would keep to Passover. That was the mindset that they were to eat the meal so that they could remember how God got them out of Egypt all those years, their, their ancestors, all those years before. So they were used to eating this meal with a sense of urgency, with a sense of expectancy, with a sense of something special should be happening. And so Jesus presents his supper in light of having a sense of expectancy. That when you partake of the Lord's Supper, you should, you should expect something. You should understand what's taking place. 
and unfortunately, within modern Christianity, it's just kind of become, oh, it's nice. We try to do this once every, you know, once a month or once every six months, or some churches do it every week. And oh, this is so special. We just, you know, here's the Lord's Supper. There, I've, I feel so good. I went and I partook of communion at church. There you go. I can check that box. This is great. Look at that. I did a really Christian type thing. And yet we have no concept what, it, what is actually taking place under the covenant of God. Now, there's, there's nothing magical about, you know, I've got crackers and juice, okay? They're not super magical. They're more magical than Walmart because it's Tom Thumb, right? So that's, you know, maybe, maybe a, you know. But aside from that, that's about it. It's, what's, Tom, what's the Safeway brand? Select Choice, something like that. But... See, I love y'all. I didn't go to Walmart. I went to Tom Thumb. How's that? Because I love y'all. I was a big spender. So, so I, I want to I get us to this. Many of us have read this before. And it's always been read this way. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body, Boy, they would get up and preach that when I was a kid. And all I could hear them say, they wouldn't say my name, but they might as well have. David, what have you been up to this week? Because it's dependent. What, what have you been doing? Because you better not drink or eat if you're unworthy. And man, I'd be like, God, I can't remember everything I did, but whatever it is, please forgive me. Oh my gosh. You know, because man, I don't want to, you know, because... You're going you're gonna to drink. You don't, I don't want to eat or drink judgment to myself. Man, I'm not doing myself any favors. And there was a big misunderstanding of what Paul was even trying to do here. First of all, what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 11, he's having to reprimand the Corinthians because at the time they didn't meet at churches like this. They met in homes and the elders would go home to home and they would share the Lord's Supper. And then families would get together. They'd cluster at certain people's homes. And sometimes they had to do it in hiding. They couldn't just be outright about it. because Otherwise, they'd get kicked out of the fellowship of the synagogues. Or the Romans would get mad because these people declare Christ to be Lord and only Caesar is Lord. So, you know, they had it from both sides. So they would quietly get together. But what was happening with the church in Corinth, there were a lot of people that were showing up. And they're like, whew, it's been a long day. Let me get some, oh, let me get some of this bread. And they start tearing into the bread. And then they start drinking the wine. And then by the time everybody shows up, there's not enough bread and there's not enough wine to even do the dinner. And you got some people that are stuffed, other people that are hungry. And then you had some people that Paul actually said, some of you are getting drunk. Really? <laughs> and he says, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? You know, and he said, you're missing the point. You're not even understanding what you're partaking of. You're not partaking of bread and wine. It's not about the cracker and the juice. There's no magic in that, but it's about what it brings your memory and your attention back to. And so that's what he's saying. He who drinks in an unworthy manner. You're not even understanding that you've been made worthy. You're not understanding anything. You're just going through the motions of it. And he says, so you're drinking judgment to yourself. In other words, you're not getting the benefit of what this is about. Why? Because you don't discern or you don't understand the Lord's body. You don't understand the covenant. That's what he's saying. For this reason, many are weak and sick amongst you. 
How's that have to do with weakness and sickness and some even sleep? Or in other words, some of you have died. Because people didn't understand the provision of the covenant, it would be like taking the Passover lamb, not understanding that you're about to get out of jail, that you're about to get out of Egypt. It'd be like someone coming into that first Passover going, whoo, just kicking back, throwing the shoes off and <laughs> leisurely eating this lamb. And before you know it, you've got a whole slew of people that are getting set free and you're still stuck there. Oh, we were supposed to get out of Egypt tonight? I had no clue. Yet it happens spiritually with us because we forget. We, we take it and we're not expecting for God's covenant promises to come about in our life. Or we're, we're totally unaware of it, all right? So what can we expect? Well, let's just set the precedent. What can we expect from the body and the blood? Again, it has nothing to do with the cracker. Or the, I, I don't want anyone to ever think there's anything special or sacred about the cracker and the juice. But it's what they represent. It's what it brings our attention back to, which is the word of God, right? So what to expect from the body and blood? Real quick, Isaiah 53, 4 through 5. This is absolutely beautiful. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Where is griefs and sorrows found in us? I thought his body took care of our body. Well, what, griefs and sorrows all take place where? Our mind, our heart. You, you, you're, you feel sorrow in your heart. Boy, your grief is in your mind. What is all that? That's mental health. He took care of your mental health on the cross. And then he goes on to say, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The word transgression, some translations will say for, for our trespasses. He was wounded for our tr transgressions or trespasses. That's our outward sins. He was bruised for our iniquities. That's our inner sins. The, you know, like the, when you have those nasty thoughts you shouldn't have, you know, because someone got you mad or you got irritated or you want to strangle that person. Are you, you think thoughts of unbelief? The Bible says that it calls it an evil heart of unbelief. When you don't trust the Lord, technically it's actually sin. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. He was beaten, chastised, so that you could be at peace, right? And by his stripes, we are healed. So what does the body offer today? Healing. What kind of healing? Whatever kind of healing you need. All the way from mental health to physical sins to internal sins, doubt, envy, strife, to physical healing. It's there. When you partake of the body, that's, that's what you can say, I've been dealing with anxiety lately. You don't have to. That's what the body, that's what the cracker reminds you of. Wait a minute. I don't have to, not anymore. I may feel anxious, but I don't have to, okay? First John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Man, we sung about it today, didn't we? So you don't understand my sin. Wait a minute, I don't even see any sin. I just see a bunch of bloody people out here. When God looks at you, he sees one thing, red. 
And the red makes you whiter than snow, the Bible says. Washes you clean. You have no record. Because perfect love keeps no record of wrongs. So the blood, when you partake of the blood, then every sin I've ever committed, I'm not bound to it. I'm not held by it. The consequences of it, I'm free. I've been let go. I am free, right? This is understanding, discerning the Lord's body, right? Psalm 103.3, who forgives all of our iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Jesus said, take my yoke for it's easy. Take my burden for it's light. Do you realize the kingdom of God is a kingdom of ease? Why? Because he's provided everything for you. Do you think dis-ease has any place in the kingdom of God? No, he wants you free from it. Amen? Amen. So Jesus' sacrifice covered every area of man's existence. He bore spiritual torment for our sins, mental distress for our worry, care, and fear, as well as physical pain for our sickness and disease. The stripes he bore were for our healing. With his stripes, we are healed. God gave everything he had to redeem mankind from the curse. For us to partake of the body without judging ourselves and our circumstances against the word of God is partaking it in an unworthy manner. So to, to partake of, of it unworthily, as we, we read just prior, means treating, number one, treating the meal as if it's just a religious habit or not understanding what the body and blood symbolize. Well, we just read that, what it symbolizes. Having a mindset that you are still unworthy even though you're a child of God, some of you say, I'm not even worthy of receiving all this stuff. No, we got to stop that business. And we're about to. Not partaking of the meal with the spirit and mindset of expectancy. Believing he will hold up to his end of the covenant contract. Okay? So this is how you judge yourself as worthy. How, what do you mean I'm worthy? I'm, I'm a sinful, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Yes, you were a sinner saved by grace. But now you are saved by grace. Now you are a child of God. Matter of fact, this is how you judge yourself as worthy. So when Paul says, judge yourself, say, I am, I'm a horrible dog. No, that's not what he's talking about. You have to judge yourself according to a standard. What standard do we judge ourselves according to? The word of God. Then what does the word of God say you are? That's what you are. More so than what your brain says you are. For he, God, for God made Christ who knew no sin to be sin, for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How many of you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ today? That means you are the righteousness of God in Christ. The Bible gives you every right to say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Well, you don't know how imperfect I am. It doesn't, that's not what it's about. It's about his righteousness being applied to you. Amen. All right, so here we go. I want everyone to stand. Everyone still with me? We're about to wrap up. But we're going to take communion. And we're going to take it in a posture of expectancy. Because now we can say, this is how I, this is how I can understand what the body is. And the blood is, I have some things that when I partake of this, and I claim the promises of Jesus, and the promises that God has made in this covenant, then I have some things I can expect because he promised them to me, and I can walk in the freedom of that, okay? So I've written down, y'all, y'all kind of pray along with me. I've written down my prayers so I, can, I, I won't forget them, and I can be exact with it, okay? Father, in the name of Jesus, we recognize that we have a covenant contract with you, a covenant that was ratified by the shed blood of Jesus at Calvary, 
because of the fact that Jesus's body was broken for us, that his blood was shed on our behalf, we acknowledge that he bore sin, sickness, disease, sorrow, grief, fear, torment, unforgiveness, strife, and lack for us. Through his substitutionary sacrifice, we have complete redemption, total deliverance from the works of Satan. As new creations in Christ Jesus, we realize our freedom has been bought and paid for. We are forgiven, we are redeemed, and we give thanks for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now we're going to judge and examine ourselves. So if you want to, like when, when you take communion at home, and I encourage you, take communion at home. You can pray a prayer, something, something like this. Lord Jesus, we examine our own hearts. We judge ourselves according to the authority of the word of God. In areas where we have missed the mark, strife, unforgiveness, jealousy, envy, hatred, covetedness, fear, worry, unbelief, we take Jesus as our advocate and high priest. We ask forgiveness according to the word of God. First John 1 9 says, your word says we are faithful, that you are faithful and just to forgive us when we confess our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Therefore, we do not eat or uh, eat the bread or drink this cup unworthily, but we rightly discern the Lord's body. We understand it. We receive communion together now as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are free from the works of Satan, spirit, soul, and body. Amen.